0: Hello and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. But first, I'm pleased to have on a manager and producer who started his career interning at William Morris before co-founding Madhouse Entertainment in 2000. And in January of this year, he started a new company, Lit Entertainment, where they rep some of the top writers, filmmakers, and showrunners in the industry. He's also one of the most respected and most liked lit managers in the business. He is Adam Goldbrenner. Thanks for coming on again, Adam. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here. Um, It's been a while since you've been on the podcast, and if listeners haven't heard your previous episodes, they can go to our website, scriptsandscribes.com, because there's some great stuff on there. Um, But since it's been a while, for newer listeners, uh, maybe you can get everyone up to speed uh, in terms of what you've been up to since... Our last conversation. You obviously have a new company now, yes. which you started in January.
1: Yes. Um, okay. So, uh, and just to go back uh, what you were saying, I, I actually I left William Morris back in in ninety nine into two thousand, and Madhouse wasn't founded until until 06. I was sort of on my own for for a oh, okay. years. Yeah. Sure. Um, so yeah, uh, close one door and open another. And um, uh, so the end of Madhouse was the end of twenty eighteen, and then the idea for for Lit and uh, lit entertainment and what we're doing here is uh, I think a very kind of unique one and um, so the the concept is uh, a real kind of core focus on on the on the clients and the creators that we represent um, and really kind of helping them take back control of their uh, of their lives and their careers and I think that's sort of a key in the world that we're living in now, which is creators are generating content but oftentimes they just sort of pass it off and I think what I'd like to be able to do here is create a, a scenario where writers can, can control their universe a little bit more, and um, and that is something that takes a real sort of partner in terms of your your people who represent you and people you surround yourself with certainly. But for me, this is about um, taking back that control and, and holding your ground, and and I think that's that's a lost art form that writers are uh, are are neglecting or have been neglected. By um, the systems, so to speak, they, they, we've lost sight of
0: that. I want to bring that back. So, when you break up a company like Madhouse, mm-hmm. um, what is that process like? How, how do you? Is it just a matter of finding office space and, and just? Yeah,
1: I mean, just... to me, it was—it's—it's was, it's pretty simple. Once I kind of knew it was gonna, mm-hmm. it was the end. It was, I think, the first order of business is anyone out there who's has who started a business is you have to find a name, and so I did lots of stuff over, over the holidays, and when uh, everyone is off skiing and, and uh, living a good life, um, I was uh, starting the business and figuring out a lot of the day-to-day of, of everything that I was going to be doing, and I think a big part of that is, yeah, certainly it's finding a temporary office space and but you know look I gotta go at it and do the little things buying the computers and getting a corporate name and and figuring all those things out and then finding some killer employees that are coming along with me for the ride and and uh, which was able to open up business uh, January 1 so to speak um, and hire the right type of group with me and uh, to go along for the ride so there's a lot of work to, to get it up and running, but, and here, here we are.
0: Right. Now, I know that you're not the first and won't be the last, you know, manager to break off from another company. Granted, Madhouse was yours, yeah. yours and Robin's. Um, but a lot of, of writers will ask, is that a, it, when you just start a new company, when you bring in other managers under you, is this a good time? Or because it's so chaotic, a bad time for them to reach out and say, "Hey, are you looking for clients?" Yeah, there?
1: no. It, it, I mean, or is it doesn't
0: doesn't really affect it? It doesn't affect it.
1: I mean, but the bottom line is, is you know, it's business as usual. But but ultimately, um, we still stand by what what I've always been practically going back, you know, now um, in nearly twenty years. Um, practically speaking, this is about the discovery of new voices. So that can be at any time at any place and from anywhere in in, on the planet um the constant look is to find new people that other people have never heard of that's the that's the concept so i don't necessarily you know i'm i'm big on not standing on ceremony and the ceremony has always been uh well you know what what shows do they work on what are their credits and things like that and i think that that's fine. That's what other people, you know, how they choose to find clients. It doesn't matter to me. I don't, frankly, care um, what the credits are, unless it's a movie that I love or a sure. show that I, I admire or anything like that, and I'm passionate about that creatively for one reason or another. But, um, no, for me, it's just what's on the page. And, again, it doesn't matter where they're from. I have clients that live all over, literally all, most, Major continents and every state in the union. Like I, I'm, I'm agnostic of where you live, as long as you can write.
0: Right, that's the idea. Does that in- include for television, or is that features?
1: Um, well, it's a good question. Uh, for for if you live in another country, if you live in another state, mm-hmm. um, and you want to be considered for staffing on a television show, it is really hard and and very rare. Uh, I did just staff a writer. Um, a new writer who no one's ever heard of uh, who lives in Brooklyn, and we put him onto a TV show that's you know, going to be working. He'll be moving to L.A. and, and working on that show for, for the rest of the year. Wow. So it certainly does happen. But you, uh, for the most part, you can be living in other parts of the country or the world. You can sell pilots, uh, but you need to plan on spending a significant amount of time. Being in 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 Los Angeles, this is the vicinity where things are happening. Um, these are where your executives are, your key executives are, uh, the brain trust, if you will, of what we're doing, is kind of taking place here.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: ultimately, I think a big part of any career you're you, you set up to do again, I, you know, I, I like to say it's the equivalent of saying I want to work on Wall Street, but you don't live in New York City, right? Well, then you don't really work on Wall Street,
0: right. you know. <laughs> right.
1: um, I want to, you know, it's it's to me it's very it's very simple. I want to work in Hollywood, but you don't live here, right? So what are you going to do? I'm not from here. I didn't grow up in Los Angeles, so um, but I knew that I wanted to be in the film and television business, so I moved here as well. You, you have to plan on the the proximity is a factor, um, and that speaks into the feature world as well. It's just harder to book those jobs, if you will, of booking, you know, studio assignment stuff or selling new feature projects. If you don't live here, it just becomes more difficult. You are, you are decreasing your
0: odds right. for success. Well, and I can't tell you how many times the day of a meeting or the day before a meeting you get a call and say, hey, can we reschedule? Yeah, exactly. And if you're flown into town for a week or two weeks... That can be a problematic, especially near the you know the end of that run. Right. Hey, can we reschedule for next week? Well, we can't because I got to go back to Texas or wherever you're from.
1: Right. You just you're you're making things difficult. We move in a very quick environment, um, although it feels slow moving a lot. But you live in a quick environment where if you're not accessible and here and in the face of people, they move on. Right. They don't remember you two weeks, two months, or two years later. You're out.
0: Right. Um, you had mentioned something that I thought was, was interesting and in how you find new clients and, and what interests you. Because I, I do find it interesting because you have a, a very prominent client list already. And a lot of reps who have that, obviously, sort of cherry-pick from a new clients. Like, oh, from, you know, you have a bunch of credits, so, okay, I'll consider you. You always seem to have very high-end A-list clients, but also you have a lot of clients on, you know, the young and hungry list and all these other, you know, of young screenwriters. Is that part of the the philosophy you're talking about? Is that how you, how do you handle that? In other words, how do you handle having, you know, again... The balance. Right. The The... the...
1: The, the, the balance of, 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 of the new and emerging versus the balance of the established. Sure. Um, you know, to a certain extent, it really comes down to one kind of key element. What's the, what is the common denominator from a writer who has multiple movies in a theater at one time versus a writer who's trying to get the first movie made? And the balance is very simple. Both categories... Are defined by how much work you are putting out consistently. Okay, so if you ever, if you are a writer who, and I actually, I have two separate clients right now who have two movies out in theaters. Okay, um, but the, what's important is they have half a dozen to ten other projects that are that are they're also cooking at the same time. Well, part of that is what are you controlling and what are you what are you generating? And I think it's the same thing for new writers. You need to constantly be generating new material, and that is I've been consistent with that over the years. If you do that, then you can you gain the competitive advantage uh, um, by having um, a, a having more potential uh, at bats sure. to use the, the baseball analogy, right. getting up to the plate more times and um, to get hits. So that's that's the sort of the fundamental of it. In, in terms of the balance, it is. Having more product gives you more opportunities, makes you more relevant in the marketplace. You're able to to do more um, and find more success. Everybody's on a strategy. They're not all the similar strategies, but the strategy is the same. Write more, tell more stories, and we'll have great success. Before we jump
0: um, into other uh, writing managerial topics. I did want to touch base on the WGA-ATA impasse, which is obviously a huge uh, thing uh, going on right now. Um, but I, I I do like to ask, how is it affecting your clients? How is it affecting you in terms of your workload? Because I, I understand that, obviously, with no agents, a lot more onus is placed on you as the sole sort of lit rep. Um, obviously, attorneys can't really don't have the same sort of responsibilities. And in terms of, of new writers, how does that affect their opportunity to get read and looked at with your workload you know, changing? Well,
1: again, it won't necessarily affect um, my quest to find new voices for our company. That's the, what we're trying to do. So that doesn't fundamentally change anything. Uh, that being said, it, it, there's a there's a fundamental land shift um, of what's happening between the WGA and the ATA, and I'm not going to kind of I won't get into the the specifics of it or points of view on it because it's not my debate. Um, I, I will say that um, it, it is a being in the in the um, being a screenwriter or being a writer I've always said is a very blue collar way of earning a living. Um, it's not fancy. It is a lot of work. Um, your name is often removed from headlines rather than added. You're also the one who's blamed a lot uh, along the way. They they don't blame actors or or necessarily directors. They'll blame the writer. Right. You know, movies don't come together. They blame the writer. So I think we're all kind of used to that. Um, and I think right now there's a lot of uh, people pointing fingers at one side or the other and pointing fingers at, at the writers, but. I will say the most important thing is you are a member of a union. Uh, therefore, you follow um, what the union has as your best interest and and hope that you find terrific resolution for union members and non-union members and the new and emerging. And to me, my my great concern is just um, how does this affect positively or negatively people who aren't in the union yet, yet um, does, it, does it decrease their advantages? Does it increase their advantages? We're removing a, f- a fraction. Just to answer the first part of the question, how does it affect my, my world, is you're removing advocates for the people that I care most about in, in our business as you're removing people who uh, care deeply and are advocates for, um, for voices, so, by removing them from our equation, taking agents out of the equation, um, my workload is, becomes more about I'm a member of a team with teammates that are uh, on injured reserve. Okay, so right. okay, so teammates who are not able to play, they don't take the field with me. Sure. Um, so it's it, it's okay. It's it's a process that I go through, and and. For, I would say ninety nine percent of my clients have have phenomenal uh, have phenomenal attorneys as partners. So you know I, I lean into into the attorneys and their point of view. If anything else, it, it, it's a there is a there is definitely a shift in terms of information flow that I think people out in the marketplace don't have anymore. Meaning producers, studio executives, they don't have the ability to call agents and ask about clients, which is a pretty simple technique and, and serviceable thing that agencies would do. We don't really have that right now. So a lot of that information, it's about information and sharing information about writers and based on availabilities or interest and things like that. So it's a lot of that sort of flow. So yeah, that increases my, my workload, certainly. Overall, it is a, and again, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I represent the blue collar, so I am hopeful that they find their way through, and and this finds resolution as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. If I was going to if I was going to wager, I would say, and you know, here we are. It is um, we're almost we're almost in June. I would say this doesn't get resolved between the WGA and the ATA until, until and come back and let me know if I'm right, <laughs> February or March 2020. Okay. So that's that would be my. Uh, that would be my analysis. And I think
0: that's kind of a worst-case scenario.
1: Right. So let's work backwards from that right? Um, and try to get it done between now and then.
0: Now, obviously, staffing is going on right now. Uh, does it af- has it affected feature writers in the same way as TV writers? Although, again, many writers do both, but... Well, not yet. Okay. Not yet. I think that is
1: to be determined. I think it were, we're early days here. Um, you know, part of choosing the nuclear option... Um, as we've done, um, you, you, when you go nuclear, you you have to know what the what the fallout is. Uh, what is the? Um, it's funny I'm, we're in the middle of watching the, uh, this phenomenal series Chernobyl, Chernobyl yeah. and and watching what you have to know what the fallout is. Right, but you have to know how to clean up. You have to know how to clean it once you've chosen the nuclear the nuclear right. option. So I think part of that is we're going to see. In, in the coming weeks and really the months ahead about finding work for feature writers who need work uh, out in the marketplace if they feel like they don 't have jobs and opportunities because their agents aren 't bringing them, mm-hmm. okay, you can make the argument if're if you 're a, a screenwriter a working screenwriter well i don 't remember the last time that my agent sent me a, a phenomenal you know feature writing assignment. okay, well, everything 's a little bit more heightened now. Mm-hmm. Did they do that? Did they not do that? What did I do? What did they do? What do you do? There's this constant sort of heightened awareness about every situation. I think we're going to see how it affects feature writers in, in terms of that, that area of financial um, success, creative success, but financial success about booking those open writing studio jobs. Mm-hmm. We'll, we're, going to, we're going to see how that actually plays out.
0: Right. Talking about Newer writers, aspiring writers, um, a lot of our listeners uh, listening to this podcast probably are in the hunt for representation or plan to be at some point. Uh, What are some things potential clients have done that made them stand out in a positive or negative way when either meeting you or in a query or in in some fashion?
1: Um, Well, there there is uh, there are multiple ways to answer this question. in terms of if we're meeting, we're meeting because I've read something that stood out mm-hmm. uh, in terms of new writers. Um, or even,
0: like, I know you speak at a lot of panels and things. Like, sure. Like, if they just met you and pitched you, maybe, I, <laughs> I don't know how that works.
1: I am, or yeah, I'm, I'm wide open, and I think anyone who's met me at any, at any of the panels, I do a lot of stuff with things like Austin Film Festival mm-hmm. and Writers Guild and. I've done, I was everywhere from UCLA to Chapman University recently to, you know, you name it, I've, I, I've done it. I think people will, will find that I'm, I'm open to any kind of conversation. At the end of the day, what does it all come down to? What is on that page? Right. Um, so what and how, how great is that writing? And I think that's the thing that I, I'm, on the one hand, I'm looking for great writing always. But on the other hand, what, what stands out? Are great ideas for movies or, or for television shows. What is a unique idea? And and I think writers, new writers, oftentimes they're writing these, they're writing their screenplays and or their pilots, and they're they're doing it thinking, oh, this should work for the market. This this makes sense. And I always sort of ask the question, which is, would you go see this movie?
0: Mm-hmm. Would
1: like you wrote this? Would you actually? Go to a theater, pay, well, I don't know, spend up to, I don't know, $40, let's say, for all, all said and done, to go watch this movie in a theater.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, no, I wouldn't because I'm, you know, I, I just, I think somebody would, but I, I don't, it's not really a movie that's in my wheelhouse. Well, then don't write that. Right. It's very simple. Write the movies that you care about. Then write the movies that, and the stories that you want to tell, um, Those because that will show on the page it'll show your passion comes through when you're able to do that. So I'm, So what stands out? People who are true to themselves, the, the original voices, great ideas for movies, original ideas for movies, original ideas that, um, and stories we haven't heard before, um, not the, I know we've, um, I'm making it up, um, if somebody was to say, well, I know we have seen dozens of World War II stories about the invasion of Normandy, let's say. But here's mine that's going to be just a little bit different. It's like, okay, well, it better be really different because mm-hmm. these have been done. Um, and then the, the, the problem that I, I think writers run into is, well, if you like World War II stories, I also, and, you know, a movie that could star Tom Hanks, I also have a phenomenal comedy that's about Tom Hanks moving into a house with, with Shelley Long. And their house is falling apart, and it's called right. Money Pit. Right, Okay, so, wait. So you wrote Saving Private Ryan, but you also have a comedy called The Money Pit. Like, this, these two paths do not line up. This right. doesn't make sense. So, again, be consistent. Know your lane. Know your skills. Know the movies you want to write, the stories you want to tell. But, but be consistent in terms of genre, certainly.
0: Right. And I think that's something that a lot of newer writers sort of... Uh, don't understand in the sense of they think that having a wide range of of skills, i.e., I can write comedy, I can write drama, I can write action, I can write you know romantic melodramas. Being able to quote unquote write all of those is a good thing when in, in the sense of it really comes down to a jack of all trades, master of none. Right. And what do studio executives, producers, what does everyone want? A master of something, right? Right. It's not how many different types of things you can write. It's can you write the thing that I want you to write incredibly, incredibly well. Right, exactly. Right. Exactly.
1: You, 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 exactly. Master, master one domain.
0: Right.
1: You know, and, and then you can always break through and break out down the road. Sure. But, um, and the way you do that down the road isn't by just, um, it's not guesswork. It is, you break out because you're a writer. You can write it. Right. You can write another
0: story. And even then, for established, it can be challenging for established sure, for pros to, to, to switch genres. It's like, but you're the comedy guy,
1: right? Absolutely. I have drama writers who ask me about selling a, a half hour comedy. And it's so like, okay, well, you're starting over. Right. You're, you don't, yes, but I've worked for NBC before on the one hour side. Right. Right. There's, Those executives don't know the, the half hour executives. Right. They don't talk to each other. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Meaning the audiences that are watching your one hour shows don't watch half-hour shows. Right. Or maybe they do, but they won't. You're not going to sell from the writer of Law and Order um, um, comes, you know... Uh, a screwball comedy. A screwball comedy, exactly. Right, yeah. right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> um, for a writer that has sort of no contacts and no opportunities for networking uh, besides writing and entering contests and fellowships, like perhaps they're out of the state or out of the country, um, what can a writer be doing to sort of advance... Their career, other than obviously continuing to generate scripts, what what else can they be doing? Um,
1: okay, so one big thing that I think has been really helpful for people mm-hmm. is meeting other writers. Um, I think you can start with that. I think you can share your work with other writers, if nothing else. And and there's a gr- there's a really a phenomenal online community that's that's evolved a lot over the years and picked up a lot of steam recently. Um, and I and I think that the 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 community of screenwriters helping each other uh, is really kind of picked up and sent us on a on a, on a pretty interesting course. Uh, so, what does that mean? Well, you know, you you want to get better at your skill by playing with people who are better than you, anyway. Sure. Um, so you're. I think now we're seeing more and more opportunities for writers to share their work with other skilled writers. Okay. So you do that and. By virtue of other people reading your the material, they know people who are either in the business or have friends who are in the business, whatever it is. You're opening up your network more. And I think people think that all the time. Well, I'm not going to move to Los Angeles and just start going to you know, bars and social engagements. That's not what you need to do. Right. You need to do is meet people who are... and, and enter into writer groups. That can really be a big, helpful mm-hmm. a tool for you to to um, get your work read criticized, rewrite your work, get your scripts out more and more. Then, what's the flow from there? The way I look at it is everywhere you just mentioned, um, uh, though from, really from, let's just call it from contests and submissions and stuff like that, um, you have to look at those as sort of, those are filters. Um, Those are filtering systems with people who are excellent readers and judges. Um, I mean, we judge for lots of different contests. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to do the same thing. You have to be able to get your work to a place where you're confident in it, because you've had other people read it and evaluate. Not your, you know, your cousin or your your husband or wife reading your material and giving you uh, spelling corrections, right. which they never seem to catch. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, you're. But the the point is, the get your material better, then start submitting to. All these uh, contests and, and, and everywhere from the Blacklist to Austin Film Festival to Nichols to all the screenplay competitions. Like, do it. Just get your work out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Then
1: write your next script. So what, what I find is that there are writers who, who will say, I wrote this script. It was a quarter finalist in Nichols in 2016. And they'll, they'll email and say, would you be interested? It's like, no. Right. Or 2019. Right. What else has happened? Right. Well, they have day jobs. They have other... Screenwriting is not a hobby. Right. This is a career. Right. And it's not graded on a curve. Right. You know? Like, exactly. So, let's... Like, what's the most recent thing? Are you better at the craft? Right. Have you evolved? Great. But I don't need to read a rewrite that you did on a nickel script that was, you know, that didn't make it to the... Right. Top one, as far as From I'm From three years ago. From three years ago, you right. did a rewrite, happy for you, not for me. Right.
0: And I think that's part of you know, the, the mindset that they, people become attached to one project, and they put yeah. so much into it that this has to be the one. Unfortunately, in, in, like you had mentioned, that, oh, I have a day job, I have kids, I have whatever. Right. But you always hear the story about somebody who had sold a script that came from nowhere, from out of, they had a job, but they, worked, they got up at five in the morning and they wrote this script and when they got home at night, they would you know, put their kids to bed or go to whatever after an eight to ten hour day at work and then they would sit down for two hours and do that day after day after day. Uh, and I, I think that if you're looking at it like, well I just don't have time, well get in line because there's hundreds of people that make the time to do that, right? right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So you, you. I think we. You know. You, you have to be able um, to balance your personal life um, and 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 having a a job and being financially capable and have that balance with your creative ambitions. But being an artist, being a writer, you're a struggling artist uh, until you're not. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing about. I think that's important for emerging writers to know. Most, ask any screenwriter, in, in, in a working screenwriter, they all are, consider themselves a struggling artist. No one's ever really satisfied. You're, ne- you're, you're, you're never quite sure where the next job will come from. Right. So you, you have to, you got to find that balance and you have to find happiness in what you're doing and, and ultimately have enough financial capability to, to be a struggling artist. It's not easy.
0: Right, absolutely. If an aspiring writer is sort of settled in life, like we were just talking about, uh, meaning they have a family and a job but want to pursue screenwriting, again, other than just busting their ass to develop material, to develop that next script, uh, what advice would you have for them? Again, somebody who doesn't live here, who's already has a full-time job, has possibly family, kids, whatever, Writing it as often as they can. What sort of advice? The, the,
1: again, it goes back to um, what, I, what I was saying, which is make your work better. Mm-hmm. Make your work better, not by by showing it to just your friends that live in your community, right. you know, or your family that's that's in your network. Expand your horizons. Play you 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 want to play tennis with people who are better than you to get better. So get better at your craft. Writing more. Getting your material out there and really start to, and that's part of what it is of being an artist. You have to, you, you have to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to um, show your 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 goods and know that it's not going to be for everybody. Right. What makes one person laugh doesn't make everybody laugh. You know what scares some people doesn't scare everybody else. So you have to be able to put yourself out there. Uh, all I can say for for people who are hopeful to one day transition to screenwriting full time, you know, you, you have to know that if you are, if you live in another part of the world and you are settled and the family is settled, it's going to, it's, it's a little bit of an upheaval
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you start to hit it and you need to maintain the career, not doing it on one-off not selling one screenplay and not like you want a real career that's going to last for decades. There's upheaval when, even in success. That success means you need to spend more time here. You should consider moving the family here as well. Right. If that's what it takes, then, then, then do it. Otherwise, you're, you're, again, like I was saying before, being a screenwriter isn't about having a hobby. You know, ho- this, isn't, this isn't a career for, for
0: being a hobbyist. Right. It doesn't work like that. Right. And yeah, if you're going to want to work on Wall Street, you've got to move to Wall Street. There you go. Or New there, York. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, regardless of whether the actual material blew you away or not, was there any pitch or logline or query that you can remember that just blew you away? Like whether or not you signed, or maybe if, if you ended up signing the client, it's even better because obviously that's, that's a, a specific case that worked out. Do you ever, do you recall like being blown away by somebody's pitch to you or a logline or is it just material, material, material?
1: It really is. It, it, it's never the, the story I've, I, that I that I've told. Obviously, is is one that goes back now. Um, to, uh, Where are we? Thirteen years, mm-hmm. which is which is the story, the Aaron Guskowski story mm-hmm. of uh, who ultimately led to prisoners. The movie and um, and and the Guskowski story. Is, is is its own anomaly because that was a query letter. It was actually a letter. It wasn't even an email that he sent, and I responded because he quer- the query was about a small contained horror movie, and at the time it just it just you know, even today it's just not really my um, uh, area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, one location horror scare movie, um, and you know he. Had, I, I found it interesting enough. He also—he was from Brooklyn. He had a kind of funky last name, and I just sure send me send me the script. I don't know. you know whatever. Okay, right. Um, so there was nothing outstanding in what he had sent, but he sent that horror movie, and and it was. The, I remember I remember that screenplay very very well, and it was contained and it was spooky and weird. But his writing was really, really strong. And from that, I said, okay, look, I don't know what I can, I was honest, I don't know what I can do with this, but I'm open, certainly, to figuring out with you what could be a good idea that we can develop together from the Mm -hmm. ground floor. And about six months later, this is in 06, about six months later, he sent me a one-page PDF that I still have that was the idea for Prisoners for the movie. And that was the end of 06, cut to 2009, and we were finally done with the screenplay, which is about February 2009. And um, I sent the script uh, very confidently to every agent in town, mm-hmm. every agency. And after all this time, and Guzikowski living in, in Brooklyn, and uh, after all this time of, of working on this, and I think we ended up. I don't remember the final number it was somewhere around thirty drafts of a screenplay. Over that period of time, we actually never met in person.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, Aaron was working a, a horrible day job; he was miserable with, and we. I sent the script to every agent, every agency in town. On a Friday, and on Monday, I was so excited I was going to call Aaron and say we, we got an agent. Well, Monday comes and Tuesday comes and. Every agent passed. Wow. Okay? And I was about to call Aaron and say, "I'm sorry, Prisoners is going to be as it's a very hard movie to make, but we didn't get anybody interested in representing you as a as a as an agent. Um, we're going to have to start over in a new script." And as I was about to make that call, I get a call from one agent who at the time was at Endeavor, uh, a guy named Adam Levine, and Levine called and said. Uh, hey, uh, I read Prisoners. I think Mm -hmm. it might be the best script I've ever read. Wow. And he said, does he have an agent? I said, well, um, he's going to come out here, and he's going to meet with all the agencies, (laughs) and uh, I'll have him come meet you. Mm -hmm. And Levine said, great. And I called Guzikowski and I said, congratulations, you have an agent. (laughs) Fly in and meet him. Right. And that was uh, on a Tuesday. Thursday, we went, met with Adam Levine and uh, and others at Endeavor and um, Aaron Guskowski had an agent and um, a few years later, Prisoners gets made, Danny Villeneuve directing, Roger Deakins, director of photography, was nominated for an Academy Award for it, Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal, Melissa Leo, um, Terence Howard, Viola Davis, uh, Paul Dano. Um, uh, I mean, our, our cast was incredible. Our film was was something we we're proud of forever, and it launched Guzikowski to where he is today, which is uh, one of the most in demand screenwriters and television creators that, that's out there.
0: There you go. That's a great story. Okay. Yeah, I think you you've told yes parts of it, if not you know yeah. a, a lot of it in a previous broadcast. Yeah, I do remember a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Now, assuming that uh, a listener is not prepared to. Reach out to you yet, or reach out to any rep yet. They're still possibly in college or honing their craft. But, like, what can aspiring writers, or I, I like what you said, emerging writers, be doing to prepare themselves, again, other than turning out the best material possible? Um,
1: I, I think a lot of that is about research, mm-hmm. understanding who you want to submit to, um, know your audience, which your audience is who's reading the script. Um, so, I think that. Um, Understanding who these people represent, understanding producers and what they've made, uh, being smart in your reach out. Mm -hmm. Um, Often people send me emails and they'll send it, you know, uh, "Dear Jeff," it's like who who's Jeff? I don't even (laughs) like at least get the name right. Right. Um, Reference that you've done your research. Understand what we're doing. This is not this isn't automatic submission process. It's very. It's it, it could be very easy, but do your diligence, do your research, know who you're trying to reach out to. That's right. what I would suggest.
0: Okay, um, if you say get say three thousand queries a month, I mean I don't know what that number actually is, but and you and your staff, you know your assistants, other managers here, can realistically made maybe a few hundred of those total. How do you decide which ones? To read other than the log line does it interest you
1: well here' I'll, I'll, in the, in the time that we sat here doing this podcast yeah. I've, I've had four emails come up <laughs> okay. okay right how do I decide yeah um, honestly, a lot of them are impersonal sure, so that means you're sending it to everybody right that's not interesting to me again it doesn't you, you know do do your research
0: right.
1: um, emailing me doesn't really help because you understand I just got four emails in the time we've sat here mm-hmm. but I also have 40 other work related emails to, to look at as well right emailing me won't get my attention um, there is a process that we have about submissions which is off of our website off of like off of Twitter or whatever it is you can submit in that way because we have a system meaning come in log line, is this something we like? Do we like this idea? Is that unique enough? Unique enough story, and then we'll request the script. We read it. We go through it, and we have our system. We have our filter, just as much as Nichols, and blacklist, and everyone sure. else has their own.
0: Right. What gets you up in the morning?
1: Well, the
0: the the best part, aside
1: from um, my, my two and a half year old coming in and waking me up, um, the 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 best thing that I get to do mm-hmm. is have my writers join the union. Um when writers that means their career is is official. Sure. You are stamping them and saying, Congratulations, you've made it. So um I I'd say that's the those are the the the, the always the best victories. Mm-hmm. Not that everything else is downhill. Sure. But those victories are are, are amazing. Um, I get very excited when my clients and their projects find other incredible artists to work with. Uh, Filmmakers, actors, producers, studio executives. I love it. I love when those dots connect. I love when their ideas find paths. And often those paths don't always work. But when, when a writer and an artist is passionate about one particular story and I'm able to connect dots to, at some level give hope to that story and that idea, uh, that's that's what I love.
0: What's your least favorite thing to do as a, a manager? My least favorite thing,
1: uh, bar none, is having to tell clients that they're being rewritten. Mm. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it is the... Every writer is rewritten. It's just sure. sort of what happens. Right. Um, and I think the reason I say that is because a lot of writers or artists would look at that as failure, and, and I, I try to look at the positive of it, which is there's still momentum on your project. They could just say, go away. Right. Um, but that is, to me, that's the hardest because it's, it, it's actually harder than saying your movie's not going forward. It's, it's because you, you, I know what it means to the psyche of, of an artist to say, well, was I not good enough? Right. And, and, it's, and it's, an, it's also an anomaly in, in our business in that that doesn't really happen. You don't get traditionally, you know, you're not cast in a movie and then switched out midway through as the actor and they replace you with somebody else. Right. Um, there, there, are, there are circumstances where sure. actors are then shot out of movies, and we have right. seen some of those recently. <laughs> um, and then there are certainly those scenarios where directors are replaced, sure. both Bohemian Rhapsody. But it's very rare. It's very rare. Right. Right. Um, Writers are 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 treated uh, with great disrespect um, a lot, mm-hmm. and it's it is my job to to be the the line that people have to kind of go through to be disrespectful, mm-hmm. and and I am a hard advocate for writers and for their work. Um, we take it as far as we can go, but there are people who don't play by the same rules. There are producers who don't tell writers they're being rewritten. There right. are studio executives who don't do that. There are writers who don't let other writers know that they're being hired to rewrite them. And I think that's, that's sort of lame. Right. You know, I like, you know, when my writers are rewriting other writers, I'll say, reach out. and yeah. and, and say, I, you know, I'm here to help, so to right. speak.
0: No, that's... That's classy. Now, you had mentioned the psyche of of writers. Because as a manager, you're sort of part salesperson, part advocate for your clients. You're part counselor slash therapist. You're part producer and sort of coach and strategist. What is the most important job of a manager?
1: I think the the most important job, the reason why a manager really should exist is to be a creative partner. To somebody who... Can hear the story and hear the creative kernel mm-hmm. and and be a be a partner to see these things come to fruition, everything else that you just described and you left out some other jobs that I do from being a uh, giving giving a, a, a medical advice to <laughs> being a bail bondsman um, oh, goodness. to uh, you know you name it like there you we cover all grounds, but it comes down to one thing which is creatively you know. You are, as a manager, you are the, the, you are the creative partner to this person on every aspect of what they're doing, and you live and die by it. So, you know, I like to
0: say don't fuck it up. Right. <laughs> um, and lastly, do you have any advice, or what advice, the, if they could take anything away from this podcast, would you give to those emerging screenwriters who want to one day be Aaron Guzikowski? <laughs> right? The next Aaron Guzikowski.
1: Yeah, I think that there, there isn't really one singular piece of advice um, I, I, other than for me to say you have to keep writing. You have to uh, want the career. And Aaron Guzikowski didn't get prisoners because he wrote one script and, and cast it off. He wrote prisoners because he was committed to the development process. Mm-hmm. You have to be committed to the, the art form uh, you have to be committed to the pains of that art form, and you have to be committed to seeing it all the way through, um, doing the work. Uh, so my big piece of advice, I guess, would be, you know, find your, find your backbone. Find your resiliency and, and build from there. Let that be the sort of core, um, you know, as you strengthen your core, you have to be strong in in what you're in what you're doing and what you're designing and you have to do the work um, don't expect to write something or or, um, or put something out in the marketplace and that someone the next call is that someone's going to call you and offer you just send you a check right e- expect that that's just one part of it each screenplay that you write is is several years of your life so you better be committed to it, right? And that's that's what that's what I would say.
0: And very few professional writers, working writers, are working on one thing. That's right. They're always working on multiple things. Exactly. You know.
1: Exactly. You need to do more.
0: You need your at bats.
1: You need your at bats. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. Um, thanks for coming on the show again, Adam. It's always great chatting with you. My pleasure. It was fun. Um, you can follow Adam on Twitter. It's at lit underscore ent for Entertainment underscore Group. So at lit underscore ent underscore group. Uh, and you can find them online at litentertainmentgroup.com. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scripts or just send us a tweet to at scripts and There's no and in the middle there, just at script scribes. Thank you all for listening.